If you're uh, if you're visiting with us, you may be scratching your head about now. Um, why in the world would we preach on this passage? And uh, we are in the process of making our way through the Book of Acts. It's um, it's commonly referred to as expository preaching. Um, it's typically what we do here. Occasionally, we'll do some topical stuff. But what we like to do, generally speaking, is to work our way at least through a section of Scripture. And what that does is, first, it, it keeps, not that Marian wouldn't be honest, but it keeps Marian honest. Um, and it keeps me honest, because it, it keeps us from just going to places that are well-worn paths, right? And um, and it forces us into texts that we probably wouldn't normally just run to and select but that have really uh, important things for us to learn in them. And this is one of those passages, um, and and I hope we'll get to see that. I, I have to confess, I secretly took really, I was delighting in the fact that I ha- had Marion read to you Leviticus 11. Um, there was just something in my heart that made me feel good that, uh, that he got to read Leviticus 11 for you this morning. Um, so, we're going to look this morning. I titled the sermon uh, "Times uh, Times They Are a Changing," and uh, some of you will get that reference. Uh, 1964, young guy named Bob Dylan uh, wrote the song, and uh, it's applicable today um, in a myriad of ways. It would have been applicable in in Peter's time because about the time of Acts 10, things are changing. Um, and you can think of different points in, in life where there have been monumental changes. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, um, I, have the, I have a couple of dates in my life, a couple of times, where there were big monumental changes. One of them is November 9th, 1989. Anybody know what happened that day? The Berlin Wall came down, or the beginning of it. And I was in a little town just outside of Ramstein, Germany, that morning. I, we woke up. We were staying in a, in a guy's house who was with the Navigators. We were on our way to a conference in Switzerland. And um, I was living in Turkey at that time. So I had flown to Germany. We were there. We woke up that morning, and the owner of the home and his wife were there in front of the television. They were amazed. And so we all stood there kind of in the moment. And as I look back on it now, I see just what an amazing day that was. Times were changing. This past week, perhaps times are changing as you watched uh, the leader of North Korea and South Korea meet at the DMZ and step over the line, something that hasn't happened in a long, long time. And they both stepped into each other's countries back and forth. Maybe a picture that times are changing. Um, and again, this passage is one of those moments. Things are radically changing. The big, massive shifts in the way that people were thinking and living. Um, and you know that when you look at the passage because when you see visions and trances and and uh, shiny people appearing in visions and dreams and to you, you hear and read about the spirit being at work like this passage, multiple accounts of 
the Lord speaking to people and people having trances and then visions as Peter sees three individual visions, all of them the same, and then the Spirit directing and moving people. When you see that sort of thing, you should perk up and, and really take notice because when that happens in the Bible, something monumental is at, at, at work. Something big is happening. I know it doesn't, you know, on its face it seems so, first it seems foreign to us, right? When we read the, when we read this passage, especially the, the vision that Peter has. But when you begin to think of it in context of the book of Acts and the movement that is happening, right? So, let's just kind of rewind the tape a little for you. We had the Ethiopian eunuch. And you remember what a big deal that was that this Ethiopian eunuch would make the trip to Jerusalem, and then the Lord would show himself uh, through the work of Philip. Okay, big deal. One person, but big transformation in the way the gospel was uh, reforming and going out into the world. And then in Acts 9, last week, we get, um, we get Saul. We know him as the Apostle Paul. We get this conversion in his life. Another big monumental shift because here's a Pharisee, a guy who was driven by the law and, and, and uh, Jewish tradition. And the Lord just completely, radically transforms his life. So we've seen an Ethiopian eunuch. Now we've seen uh, a religious leader, a Pharisee, who has been radically transformed. Then we move into chapter 10. And it can be a little dis, it can feel a little disjointed. The entire chapter is, is a whole unit. And really, uh, the transformation that is going on here is the transformation of a Roman centurion named Cornelius. That's the transformation. That's the, that's the first big transformation. The times that are changing are really a reference to what's going on in Peter's life. And the change the Lord is doing in Peter. So we have, we've got two stories that are kind of coming together. We've got the Roman centurion, okay? He is a leader of, uh, he's referred to again as a God-fearer. Remember that language. So a God-fearer was someone who, who, they, they were looking into the Jewish faith, right? And they were saying, I, I like this. I like the monotheism. Um, I like, this God that they're worshiping, um, but I'm not ready to go the full distance. I'm not ready to adopt their dietary laws. I'm not ready to be, as a man, circumcised. I'm not ready to, to become a proselyte. That was a very big step. And so they, they kind of stayed in this middle zone. Um, and that middle zone is the zone that we refer to as God-fearers. And so he is referred to as a God-fearer. He was looking over the fence. He saw the tradition. He saw that God. He's, his, his heart was inclined. He's generous. He's giving away money. Um, and, and so we see this guy as being a, a, a serious candidate for the gospel. But he's a Gentile. And right now, the gospel is really moving amongst the Jewish people. And so, in order for that gospel to begin to spread and to go into other parts, we've got to begin to see Gentiles, lots of Gentiles, coming to faith. And Cornelius is one of those big dominoes to fall. 
And again, it's not just Cornelius. The Lord is doing something really big on the other side, and that is in the heart of Peter. And so we want to kind of look at these uh, changes and look at through the eyes of what's going on as Peter moves out and, and as the Lord brings Cornelius and Peter together. And the way we're going to do this, we're going to talk about what, uh, what, um, what needed to change, why it needed to change, and how it changed. So what needed to change? What needed to change in society was that there was a big division between Jews and Gentile. Um, and they were separated. Paul talks about this separation. He says Jew and Gentile have now come together in Ephesians 2. He calls it a wall of hostility. Okay? And that wall of hostility existed because... The Jewish people, Israel, had been called out of the nations by God. He gave them his moral law. He gave them the ceremonial law. He gave them dietary laws. He gave them all of these laws as he called them out of the other peoples. And the reason that he did that was so that they would be separate from the nations around them. Okay, They would be set apart and holy. They would look different. That was the, that was the primary rationale. Um, for all of these restrictions that are given to them. Aren't you glad? That, weren't you encouraged to know you could eat locusts? That was, I was delight, delighted to find that out. Um, but they had all of these restrictions. And so when we looked at Le- Leviticus 11, you, you felt a little bit of that weight, right? Wow, this is some really strict dietary laws. All of that was in place because the world around them ate everything. And so he's calling them out of those peoples. He gives them all of these rules in order to show that they are a set-apart people. Now, ultimately, it was, it was to point that they, were, they had a circumcision of the heart, that their hearts had been changed, that they were, they were directed towards God himself, right? But over time, what really developed was this sense of, hey, we're we're this people, right? And this wall of hostility rose up. Remember, God called them. He called Abraham and he said, "You, I am calling you to be a blessing to the nations. Do you all remember that? He calls Abraham and he says, I'm going to make you a blessing to the nations. But what happened over time was they didn't become a blessing to the nations. They became a nation unto themselves and they weren't calling anybody to join them. That's a problem. It's a problem when they come and they begin to see themselves as, right, here we are. We're our own little enclave, and there's no invitation going out. They're not a blessing to the nations. They're not calling the nations to come join them. Instead, they bogged down in their own rules, their own regulations, their own way of living, and this wall of hostility rose up between them and the Gentile world. And that wall existed all the way up until this passage and even beyond. So that is that is what needed to change. And in the passage, as Peter has this vision, one of the things that we see, okay, one of the divisions is food. Now we don't we don't typically think of food as something that divides us. Food's typically something that unites us, unless it has onions, and then we're it's off, right? Um, we think of food as that thing that brings us together, right? You, you call someone, you, you have a, a meal, you get together. Um, 
and 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 but the system right that the the Jewish people had did not allow for that freedom. Okay, you could invite someone in, in, into your home because in your home the kosher dietary laws would, would be honored and you knew who was preparing the food and how it was being prepared. I mean, they had a, and a massive system built up. And that system fed into this hostility between the two groups of people. Listen, when Jesus is accused by the Pharisees, when they look at him and said, look, he even eats with tax collectors and sinners. Hey, it wasn't so much the tax collectors and sinners, it was that he was eating with tax collectors and sinners. Look, look, he even eats with them. That's how big a deal the dietary laws were. If, because here was the implication. If Jesus is eating with them, what about their food? Who handled it? Who prepared it? What was it? Right? Is he unclean? Has he made himself unclean? This is the system that needed to change. Listen, Jesus had already addressed this. He had already said in in the Gospels, right? He had said, look, it's not what goes into your mouth that makes a man unclean. It's what comes out of the heart. He had already said, it's the heart that matters. It's not this external thing. He had looked at the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He'd said, look, y'all are whitewashed tombs. You're wasting away on the inside while the outside looks really nice. But the inside is wasting away. See, Jesus had already addressed this. And essentially... By the time he goes to the cross and we have his death, burial, resurrection, by the time that happens, the only wall that is now a separator is faith, not faith. Trusting in Christ, not trusting in Christ. The only wall, and that's even a gracious wall, right? Because now the the church is the light of the world. We are a people. We are the true Israel. I mean, there's this rejuvenation and, and that wall is broken down by Christ Himself. Now the only thing that separates us is belief and unbelief. And even there is the gracious trend towards loving our neighbor, praying for those who persecute us. Right? And so Jesus has already begun this change. But that is what needed to change. There needed to be this coming together of Jew and Gentile, and they were radically separated. And that's why it needed to change. It needed to change because it was obsolete. It had already served its purpose. It had outlived its usefulness. Remember, the division initially was to hold Israel up, that they would draw, they would be a light and they would draw people from other nations to them. Other peoples would come and join them. And that happened to some degree but not to the degree that it intended. And so as Christ comes, that those old system, that old system begins to fade away. It's now done away with because it's all fulfilled in Christ. But they persisted in following these rules and persisted in letting food be something that would divide them. Now, think about how this, think about how this potentially goes down, okay? Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Let's just say that, right, God doesn't challenge Peter with respect to how he's going to interact with Gentiles. 
Instead, Peter, okay, I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So he goes to Cornelius' house, knocks on the door. Cornelius opens the door. Peter stands on the outside. He stands on the inside because he couldn't enter his home. And he shares the gospel with him. And Cornelius says, I believe. Peter says, hallelujah. See you later. Right? Because I'm not, I, I can't come into your house and fellowship with you. I certainly can't come in and eat your food, but I just gave you the gospel, the good news, so go and be happy, Cornelius, and I'll go and be happy in my world. Does that sound reasonable? It's not even remotely reasonable. I mean, even today you would at least say, hey, let's get together and have lunch. And in this culture, to sit and have a meal with someone was much bigger deal. You would all, and listen, in, in the Middle East, you can't go buy a carpet without having chai with somebody, okay? Let alone share the gospel in a life-changing transformation. And you're going to have a meal, trust me. And so the situation was Peter couldn't have even gone to Cornelius' house, knocked on the door, shared the gospel, then done anything else with him. He could have had no contact with him outside of that verbal communication. So something had to happen. That's why this needed to change. But there's more than just food at play. Peter has the vision. Let's look at it. Strange vision, beginning in verse 12. Let's do verse 11. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet. The word is really a container. Okay? Uh, Some of you say uh, it's, it's kind of reminiscent of the ark. Okay, because it's full of animals. But the container, the sheet, this tarp comes down, uh, let, let down by its four corners. Verse 12, it contained all kinds of animals. We're led to believe that they're all unclean animals. That's what Peter sees. Peter sees into the container, into the sheet, and what he sees is unclean animals. A voice tells him, verse 13, get up, kill, uh, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds pretty much the way he does every time the Lord tells him to do something. Surely not, Lord, right? Um, I don't know. That's, that just strikes me. And maybe that's kind of what we say sometimes too. But Peter says, surely not. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Verse 15. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Verse 16. It happened three times. Now, why do you think it happened three times? One, two, three, right? Maybe you'll get it, Peter, if you have it happen three times. So it happens three times. Now, here's the interesting thing. So so what's communicated to Peter is, Peter, food is okay. Take and eat. Eat it all. Now, Peter's no doubt thinking to himself, are you kidding me? I mean, he, that, look, I'm just a, Normal level, okay, he's going to have a problem because he's never eaten any of those foods. Years ago, when Jody and I went to China to get Kylie, when we got into the interior of the country to a small town of 1.5 million, um, we, our guide took us to one of these food alleys to eat in his little favorite restaurant. Our guide's name was Steed, okay? Uh, 
And so he takes us into this little food alley, and it's, you know, you can reach out and touch the awnings of these places as we're walking through there. And they're, they're venting everything they're cooking into the alley. And I can, I can, I can smell it right now, and I can tell you it was not pleasant. They eat everything. And, and people in different parts of the world eat all sorts of things. They probably come here and go, can you believe it? Like they put this, they call it a pizza. They put this stuff on it. You know, I mean, that's what they would think of our food, I'm sure. So just at that level, this would have been a real challenge for Peter to have gone and consumed some of this stuff. But, but here's the thing. It wasn't just food. And, and I want to show you this. If you'll drop down um, into the next section. Right. When Peter goes uh, to meet with them, verse 27, it says, while talking with him, that's while Peter was talking to Cornelius, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. Verse 28, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Boom. Hey, there's the rule. Peter says, you're aware that this is not really okay comma period but god has shown me that i should not call someone say that word i should not call what anyone now just go back up to the passage what was the passage about what did what was the vision peter had about was it about people or was it about food it was about food So something happened in between that vision and Peter arriving at Cornelius' house because now he says to Cornelius, God has shown me and told me I should not call anyone people unclean. What happened between those two? What happened was this. After Peter had the vision, okay, while Peter... Uh, after he has, has the vision, verse 17, look at it. While Peter was what? Wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found him. Peter understood after he thought about it that what God was saying was not just you can go eat the food. He was saying you can go fellowship with the people. He wasn't just saying, look, the dietary laws are done. By by doing away with the dietary restriction, he opened the gate for there to be real genuine fellowship with people who didn't live nor look like he did. And Peter got the message. Once he thought about it, once he contemplated it, once the Spirit worked in his heart, he had a whole night. He had 24 hours, and then he traveled to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius. And by the time he got to Cornelius' house, it had gone from seeing the animals and God saying, you can eat it all, to understanding, hey, it's not about the animals I can eat. It's not about the food I can eat. It's about the people I can touch and spend time with. And that's why the dietary laws needed to change. They had to change because that was part of this big barrier that now opened the floodgates to let Peter interact, to let Jewish people interact with Gentile people in a way that was real and tangible and in a way that would change the world. And it did. 
I want to um, I want to move us along, but you know at this point, food was merely a pretext to keep the two sides separate. Now, let me challenge you a little bit because I know some of you are thinking in your mind. You're thinking this is so dated, like. I mean, we're talking 2,000 years, right? I mean, give me something relevant. How about the relevancy of, say, 50, 60 years ago? When even right here in our country, there were laws regarding food called Jim Crow laws that kept blacks and whites separate. That's just 60 years ago. 60 years ago, we're where we had social, weird social rules, right, that would allow a black man to cook food for a white man, but the two couldn't sit down and eat together in our country. Right? So laws, dietary laws, restrictions keeping people apart is, is actually something we've been good at for a long, long time. So it shouldn't be too foreign to us to understand that, that, that Peter and the other Jews used this as a pretext to keep their distance from people that they saw as not being like them. And it ceased to be maybe religious in nature and much more social in nature. We're easy at allowing those things to happen. All right, quickly, let's move to how is it going to change. So here's Peter, right? So just kind of to begin with, Peter and the other Jewish folks are going to have to change the way that they live. They're going to have to change the way that they do business. And that is going to be a little bit of a challenge. right? We already talked about that. All of the things that they've been exposed to. But God was telling Peter, look, for my good news to spread to all people, you have got to get outside of your comfort zone, Peter, and you've got to go places you've not gone before. Talk to people you've not talked to before. You have to do that. And in order to do that, he really hits him upside the head with the withdrawing of these dietary restrictions in a very tangible way. But that is right It was a challenge just to overcome for Peter in a normal sense. It was a challenge in the sense of what are people going to think about me as well. And we know that. If you'll take your Bibles and turn over to Galatians chapter 2 quickly. We know that because there's a situation that arises. And in in Galatians 2 verse 11, this is Paul talking. He says, when Cephas... That's another name for Peter. When Cephas came to Antioch, he says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Verse 12, for before certain men came from James, he, that's Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. Right? So there was a situation that arose. Peter was, Peter was doing it. He was moving out. He was going to places that he hadn't gone before. He was eating with people he hadn't eaten with before. He was taking the gospel to the nations. He was eating with Gentiles. 
Y'all, this is huge. This is a monumental leap. I mean, this is me eating an enchilada with cheese loaded with onions, okay? Big deal. I didn't even, nothing? No? All right. Um, Big, huge, monumental deal, okay? And then some folks showed up from James. And they still were following, there were pockets of resistance to the dietary laws coming down and, and, and circumcision not being required. And so some of these guys showed up in the area. And when they showed up, Peter said, hmm, in order to please them, right, and have them think well of me, I'm going to stop eating with Gentiles and withdraw. And when Paul got there, he said, man, what are you doing? He says, I opposed him to his face publicly and called him out big deal two apostles and paul called one of them out because he had gone back to his old ways because of peer pressure you think peer pressure doesn't exist absolutely and not just for teens for apostles And for us. So how do we change? How does this change occur? What does Paul give Peter? He gives him the gospel. He hits him straight upside the head with the gospel. And essentially what he's saying to him is, listen, Peter, you believe the gospel. Why would you go back to this? You see, the gospel frees you up, should free us up from any of those thoughts. First, It frees us up from thinking we're superior at all to anyone, anywhere, anytime. Why? Because the gospel starts with really bad news. And the bad news was, you are a sinner. So in need of God's grace that he had to send Jesus into the world to die for you. Well, that pretty well sells it, right? Nothing superior in any of us. Look. You know what the gospel does? It drives sovereignty to the deepest level of our hearts. The sovereignty of God, which we talk about a lot. Right? How about the sovereignty of God? You didn't choose, you didn't choose the time of your birth. You didn't choose the place of your birth. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose your, you didn't choose your DNA, genetic makeup. You didn't choose where you were born, how you were born. You have, you have so very little to do with the person you are in the world today. That's the sovereignty of God at work. And yet here you are in this place at this time. Not because of anything you've done, but because of His sovereignty in your life. And that's the beginning. And the second part is the gospel's good news, right, is so amazingly good that what does it do? It strips away every bit of boasting. It strips all of that away. Why? Because it isn't what I eat. It isn't what I do. It's not by works, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9. It's not by works. Why? So that no man can boast. And what did Peter want to do? He wanted to withdraw from the, from the Gentiles. He wanted to go to his Jews so that he could say, look at me. What do we call that? Boasting. And see, the gospel strips all of that away from us. And that's why when, when Paul challenged Peter, if you go on and read in Galatians, he challenged him with 
the gospel. It's salvation by grace through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And see, when that gospel is the gospel that's driving us, the walls of hostility can come down and we can cross those boundaries. Are you crossing boundaries? Are you finding places in your life to cross some of those boundaries and go places you haven't been before, eat with people you haven't eaten with before? What if half of us ate with someone this week that we haven't normally eaten with? For whatever reason. Dynamic change. It changed the world. It can change our community too. Let me pray for us. Father, thanks for your goodness. Thank you for this word and the challenge that it is in our lives. Thank you for the response that Cornelius had as he heard Peter proclaim the gospel and then responded. He and his family. Father, that's amazingly good news for us. And as we come to you now, we pray that you'll be at work driving that gospel message deep into our hearts, that the walls of hostility in our lives would melt away and your grace would be seen. In Christ's name, amen.